Right? We see Christmas start to sneak its way in to all different areas of our life, even this early. Uh, I'll tell you what happened in my house last night. And even, there, there's something that happened right at 8 p.m. last night. And, uh, it, and let me just tell you, there was a phrase that came pretty close to out of my, it was at least in my head, that at 8 p.m. this thing happened, which I'll share in a moment. But the thing that came out of my mouth and was running through my head is, I do not want to do that at all. 8 p.m. came. And my wife turned on the Hallmark Channel, and the premiere, Christmas movies began last night. No, 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 no. That was not said. No, no, you, you do not understand my heart. No, I'm, I'm preaching against that. You're missing my point. No, that happened, though. At 8 p.m. last night, Hallmark Channel came on. The premiere of this Christmas movie came on. And in my head, in my heart, and I'm pretty sure Becky can correct me if I'm wrong, vocally came out, I don't want to do that at all. That is not what I want to do. And, and you've heard that phrase before. If you've got kids, you've heard it. If you at least are self-aware to hear yourself say it. We've all said that I don't want to do that. Now, I need to correct myself. We say it a little bit differently, though, don't we? It's not I don't want to do that. It's I don't want to do that. You know the difference, right? It's not just oh, I don't really want to. It's I don't want to do that. And you really emphasize the that. Now I'm saying, but, but I can do it. I can survive, you know, an hour, hour and a half Christmas movie. And, but something then weird happened. It was about 9 o'clock. And I'm like, isn't this thing over? She's like, oh, no, no, no. This is the second one that's on right after it. And I'm like, all right, that is, we have to draw the line somewhere. Right? But, but that phrasing, like I said, we hear our kids say it. We say it. You've heard it around the office. You've heard it around your neighborhood. You hear it. I don't want to do and say it with me that. I don't want to do that. Right? This whole month we've been leaning into what it means to love others, to serve others, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the reality is, if we're honest enough, is there are plenty of times where, man, we want to do that. Oh, it feels good to serve. It feels good to love. And, and man, that we get a lot out of it and they get a lot out of it. It's a great, everybody's a big happy family. There are also times where Serving and loving is simply, I don't want to do that at all. I don't want to do that for whatever reason. It, it's out of our way. It's out of our comfort. It, it costs too much. It's too messy. Whatever it is, often enough, we just simply don't want to do that. And my heart, my prayer, as we open up what, what Jesus does in this very intentional moment is that we make a switch from I don't want to do that, where the emphasis is on the that, the whatever it is, and we switch it to I can do that. And I'm not even asking you to say I want to do that or I enjoy doing that or I can't wait to do that. I, I just want us to get to the place where we can say I can do that. And the emphasis on the can, and then it's up to you whether it turns into a, a will so if we can begin to think that way, of making that shift from I don't want to do, and say the word again with me, that, and make that small shift in our minds to, but I can do that. The, the verse we're going to look at, and in fact the story we're going to look at is in the Gospel of John. John. John records this event, John chapter 13. And this is towards the very end of Jesus' life here on earth. He's about to be arrested Judas has already made up his mind to betray Jesus. 
And we get this scene during what's called the Passover celebration, the Passover meal, the Passover festival. And just know, the Passover is that moment that the Israelites remember back to when they were delivered out of Egypt. So just like you have birthday celebrations, you remember the day that so-and-so was born. We have holidays that cause us to think back and remember what has happened. It's so that we never forget. Been saying about that just a moment ago. So we never forget the Jews, the Israelites, had this feast, this festival, this party called Passover, where they did just that. They remembered back to what God had done to rescue them and deliver them out of slavery in Egypt. So that's the scene. Jesus and his closest followers, his closest disciples, are in this secret upper room, really moments before he is about to be arrested and then crucified, and he's sharing this meal together. They're remembering what God had done, remembering God's faithfulness and delivering his people from Egypt. They're remembering this moment together, but Jesus does something to continue to remind them, not just of God's faithfulness, but remind them of their part moving forward. So here's what takes place. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was now returning to God. So, look at what he then does next. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this would have been, been unbelievably absurd. I mean, it would be absurd for us today if, if you walked in this morning and then I just said, hey guys, take off your shoes. We're all going to wash each other's feet. You would say, peace, I'm out. This church thing, this Jesus thing is not for me if that's what I have to do. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing pretty, there's nothing clean, there's nothing enjoyable about feet. That was the same for Jesus's day too. This was not a cultural thing. Oh yeah, they loved washing each other's feet. No, not at all. This was out of place. It was, they're looking at Jesus like, you're out of your mind. This was irrational. But we know Jesus, and if you follow the life of Jesus, this is almost just one more irrational act of service for Jesus. Just one more thing Jesus did that was out of this world in terms of how we could wrap our minds around it. But I want you to pay attention to what he's actually doing here. I mean, this is, and, and he says right before, or it is at least pointed out right before, that all things were under his power, that he had come from God and going to God. So then he, in that moment, then he began to wash his disciples' feet. Understand, Jesus, Philippians 2 speaks to this as well. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, is lowering himself figuratively, but also literally to wash his disciples' feet. Going from king and creator to true servant and washing his disciples' feet. You don't get much more of a servant than that moment of washing someone else's feet. So for us, as we begin to think through, and I hope you put this in context, no, I'm not asking you to, this week, here's how you serve, wash somebody's feet. No, Jesus isn't even getting to that for his disciples. He's not saying, hey, I want you to literally wash everybody's feet. No, no, he's, he's giving them an example, and he's going to explain this in a moment. But he's saying, I'm here, king of kings, lord of lords, creator of all, everything is under me yet I'm still going to lower myself and wash your feet. And nothing 
Nothing was, I don't want to do that for Jesus. He said, I can wash feet. He didn't have to. He said, I can and I will and I'll give an example. So begin to even think through just in your own life what that looks like. The things that we would say, I don't want to do that because nowhere in here does it say Jesus wanted to wash his disciples' feet. He said, no, that's something I can do to get a point across. So what are the that's in your life? Maybe it's how you respond to certain people. There are people in your life that, man, they, they don't deserve your love. They don't deserve you going out of your way. They don't deserve for you to serve them. Let me just point out. Did Jesus wash Judas's feet? Sure did. Jesus already knew Judas's heart, and Judas hasn't left yet. He's in that circle, sitting with Jesus. And as Jesus goes to disciple, to disciple, to disciple, can you imagine when Jesus got to Judas and took off Judas's sandals and washed Judas's feet, knowing what he had done and what he would do? See, serving doesn't require us to agree with the person we're serving. It doesn't even require us to like them. We serve because Jesus washed his disciples' feet, because he first served us. So how we respond to people is an act of feet washing, so to speak. How we treat others, regardless of their beliefs, views, and opinions, is an act of washing others' feet. You know, it's, it's what you do in those everyday moments. What we've been talking about this entire month is acts of irrational service and washing feet. As I was reading through this and thinking, what does it really look like to wash feet today? Well, what are some of the most irrational acts of service for us today in the church, outside of the church? And, and I came up with one that I don't think anybody could beat. Right now, there's a handful of volunteers and MLC kids changing diapers of kids that are not their own. I can't think of anything more irrational. I mean, I consider myself a loving, caring person. I'm a pastor. I have to be, right? Yet, I would not change your kid's diaper. I barely change my own kid's diaper. Yet, there are some people that mark on the card, I would like to help change diapers at church. So there is either something very wrong with them, or they have so much of Jesus' love that they're willing to say, I can do that. Instead of, I don't want to do that, instead of, I don't want to do that, it's, I can do that. I can wash feet. So he does this, and he says he finishes up, and, and of course, the disciples were, were lost in what to do next. Couldn't believe what they just witnessed and experienced, so Jesus helps them process what happens next. Verse 12, it says, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. Now, sure, that's a rhetorical question, but I can guarantee the disciples, whether it was rhetorical or not, would have been deer in the headlights like, no, we have no clue what just happened. <laughs> Our Savior, he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's King. He's Lord. He's Teacher. He is God in human form, just washed my stinky feet. No, I don't know what you just did. No, I don't understand why you just did what you did. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me Teacher and Lord and write and, and you rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, look at this, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He said, here's the whole point. 
I set an example for you. He's been teaching and preaching and leading people to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind, and to love their neighbor as themselves. He says, my time on earth is about up. Let me show you what that looks like. Let me show you how dirty this might be. Let me show you how messy this might get. Let me show you how irrational and crazy this is going to sound and look to every other person. Let me wash your feet. And he goes on, you don't have to turn there, but if you keep reading through chapter 13, you see that he hits this point of loving others and serving others the way that he did over and over and over again. And another verse in 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so now you must love one another. He says, I've set you the example of the way that I've done it, now you go and do that. If you keep going, chapter 15 says the exact same thing again and again. He says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Again, this is my command, love each other. He keeps that theme in front of his closest followers moments before his arrest and then crucifixion. He could have taught a lot of different things, yet he said, here's what I want you to do. You just watched me wash your feet. As irrational and crazy as it seemed and was, that's what I want you to do to other people. Do as I have done. As I've loved you, now you go love. You see, this most certainly would have seemed crazy. We keep saying that, that, that Jesus washing his disciples' feet was absolutely irrational. It would have been out of place. It doesn't make sense unless Jesus was an actual servant. Let me, let me help you understand what I'm saying here. There were servants that that was their job. You would walk into a home. There would be servants there that would wash your feet before you fully entered the house. And if that happened, nobody would look at those servants and say, I can't believe you're doing that. What an act of love. What an act of service. This is crazy. This is irrational. It makes no sense for you to do this for me. No, in other words, it would have been expected. If you were to walk into a home that had servants, it would be expected that they would wash your feet before you continued on to the home. So for Jesus, this really isn't that out of place. He says, I am a servant. And because I am a servant, this is what I do. Because I am a servant, this is the expectations I have. It's only out of place and it's only irrational when you look at Jesus as king, not Jesus as the servant and the savior. And that's what he's telling his disciples. He said, I'm not so much telling you what to do. He says, I'm trying to help you see who I want you to be. And all of a sudden, this changes from commands and laws and do's and don'ts to Jesus says, no, this is about your identity. This is about who you are. Are you a follower of mine by identity or are you just acting it out? Are you truly a servant or do you just do serving type things every now and then? Those are very, very different. And Jesus is saying, serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. That's what he wants to be in the disciples' heart. Serving is not just something I do. That's what nice people do. Nice people, and there's a lot of great nice people in the world. Nice people serve because that's what they do. They're nice because it's what they do, but Jesus isn't calling us to be nice. He says, I'm wanting you to be a servant as I am a servant. It's what our identity is found in. It's who you are, not just what you do. Please understand the vast difference there in how we approach that. What I do should come out of who I truly am, who your identity is found in. 
Because our identities, they carry responsibilities. And, and we all have all kinds of different identities, right? And those even change seasonally in our lives and different life stages. For example, if you're working, you're an employee, you hold the identity of employee. And if you have the identity of an employee, then guess what responsibilities you have? You have to show up on time. You have to perform certain duties, your job description. There's things you have to do. Why? Because that's who you are. You are in that season of life. You're an employee. Parents, if you are in a life stage where you are a parent, you hold the position, the title, the identity as a parent. It comes with responsibilities that you cannot, as much as you try, let go of or give away. You're stuck with them forever. I had to, I'm going through counseling, and this is just part of my therapy. Right? There's responsibilities attached to your identity as a parent. A student, if you're a student, guess what? There are responsibilities tied to your identity as a student. And you don't just do those things because you love them all the time or you want to. There's always elements of that. But, but you do what you do because it's who you are. And Jesus is saying, I am the Savior. I am a servant I am servant king, and so that's what I do. And he looks at his disciples and says, I want you to be like that. I want you to find your identity in me, Jesus is saying, and therefore you serve others. But go back to the phrase, I don't want to do that. There's plenty of things that I don't feel like doing. And that's really the tension here when we talk through loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We run into that tension of, well, what do I do when I don't feel like it? The, the tension between attitude and action. Let me help you understand attitude and action. They're both, both very, very important. And they can both exist on their own. In other words, you can have action without the right attitude. You can have action without feeling like it or wanting to, right? And you can also have the flip side of that. You can have the attitude of I want to, I have the intention to, but then there's no action. I like to think of myself as a golfer. Doesn't mean I am, it means I like to think of myself as a golfer. And as a golfer, could you imagine what it would be like to have all attitude, all intention, but no action? You would be thinking, I have been waiting to be out here for so long, I am so glad I am finally on the golf course. I've been waiting to hit this ball for so long. I'm excited. I can't wait. It's good to be here. Here we, but today's just not a good time right now. But I'm really wanting to. I promise. I promise. I really, I just want to. It's all in my heart. I promise it's there. I really want to hit the ball. But I just, man, I'm not sure. Like, is, is now the right time? Let me think about it. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? If you're a golfer, you have to hit the ball. If you're going to be a servant, you have to serve. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to not just claim it in our hearts. Yes, that's what saves us, but there's an element of then doing. Faith without works is dead, James says. It also says, don't just merely listen to the word. Do what it says. There has to be action, but obviously we want the attitude. But let me give you permission. Let me give you permission to do what needs to be done even when you don't feel like it. I don't know where, the, where, where as a church we've gone wrong, where we feel like as a Christian, I always want to do the right thing. If you wait to do the right thing when you only feel like doing the right thing, you're going to be in a bad spot. Don't allow your attitude to determine your actions all the time. Sometimes your actions just have to go first. Sometimes you just do it because that's who you are, not because you necessarily want to. And when you make that shift from I don't want to do that to I can 
do that. I don't necessarily want to, but I can and I will. You see things change. I mean, think through the things that you would love to see changed, relationally that you would love to see changed. You want to see some change in your marriage? Serve your spouse. You want to see change in your family? Serve your family. If you want to see change in your community, serve your community. If you want to see change in the relationship with your in-laws, get new in-laws. Serving doesn't help. There's a few disclaimers. That's about the only one I can think of. If you want to, if you want to see change in your school, serve your school. If you want to see change in, then serve them. It's not I don't want to, or man, I just can't wrap my head around doing that. It's I can do that. But it starts in our identity. Who are we? Who are you? Because if you are willing to define that, answer that question, you will start to see the actions come with it. So start there. Define who you are. Define who you are, and guess what happens next? Your actions will begin to come out of it. Not perfectly. We say here a lot that we stumble in the right direction. But define who you are. Answer that question. Who am I? Who am I in Jesus? And you will see your actions begin to follow that. Not perfectly and know the attitude's not always there. But we do it because it's who we are. Define who you are. And then that will begin to guide all of your actions. So what does it mean to serve others, to love our neighbor as ourselves? It means that we carry Jesus in our hearts. And in every moment of every day, we look for those irrational acts of service. Not because we want to, not because it's even, a, well, I should or I'm supposed to, or we talked about this in church. We shift from, I don't want to do that, to I'm a servant of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's who I am, so I can do that. Let me leave you with this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this. We love because he first loved us. Oh, don't miss the significance of that. We love, we serve because he went first. It's exactly what Jesus did in the upper room with the disciples. He washed their feet before he told them to go wash anybody else's feet. He went first. So we start there. Allow Jesus to love you right where you're at. Let your identity be consumed with Jesus. And that doesn't mean the feelings are always there and the want-tos are always there, but it means it's who we are. May our identity be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then, out of the overflow of that, we will see Jesus do some amazing things around us, irrational to the rest of the world, but pretty amazing things in the process. But may we not allow our feelings to get in the way, our attitudes to get in the way. Sometimes our heart has to catch up. But if your heart is finding its identity in Jesus, because he went first, we will find that he fills in the gap for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we recognize that simple and significant fact that you loved us first. So before anything else, may we just... May we just stay in that moment of you loving us first, you serving us first. God, if there's somebody here this morning that has not accepted that first love, may that happen here and now. 
whether we necessarily feel like it or not, may we recognize the truth that you love us more than anything else. And that love is what caused you to wash your disciples' feet. It's that love you have for us that sent your son Jesus to the cross. It's that kind of love that we find our identity in. So may we accept that love first and foremost. And out of that love, may we begin to love others. May our life be full of what you have already done. Because you loved first, may we now love others. God, help us find our true identity in you. And may the heart catch up. But may we take on the role of a servant because that's what you have done and that's what you continue to be in our lives. King of kings, Lord of lords, but also servant. May we worship you as king and may we follow you as a servant. In Jesus' name, amen.